Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cripp. And this week we are heading off overseas for the very first time. Now, prior to the pandemic, since this is a hospitality podcast, I always went to see guests face-to-face and have a chat about their journey and their adventures. And having spent the last 20 years working in hospitality, nothing makes me happier than sitting opposite someone in one of their venues, drinking an espresso or sipping a nice hoppy pale ale. But the pandemic meant I needed to learn to record remotely and not having to jump on a train or hop in my car and travel around the country to meet guests does have some advantages. Never more so than with this week's guests since we are off to Shanghai. Now with all the focus in the podcast recently around the pandemic, I wanted to chat to someone based in China, much closer to the source of the virus and for the sake of this podcast and the hospitality sector, much further along the timeline to coming out the other side, as long of course as we don't get some kind of second wave. Now China is where I first saw some videos and some images appearing of customers eating and drinking behind perspex screens being served by teams in masks. It was not my idea of hospitality, which is so much about smiles and human interactions. So I wanted to find out if this was our inevitable reality and did this really reflect the wider bar, restaurant and hospitality scene in China. Through an old colleague now resident in Shanghai, I've now recorded a couple of interviews with hospitality colleagues in that city. And this is the first of those episodes recorded just a few days ago in mid-May 2020. Today's guest is Logan from Logan's Punch and Tackalicious, a few venues of mixed size from a cocktail bar to over a 100-seater cover restaurant in Shanghai. And as an F&B consultant from San Francisco, Logan's been living there for 10 years and has had a ringside view of the pandemic roll out from China and across the globe. And I was fascinated during this chat to hear the importance of the timing around Chinese New Year and the impact that that had on how the virus was transmitted across China. Interestingly, there has also been some government support, as in Europe, but not to the same scale, with tax and rent relief. Now, in many ways, it appears that very strict shutdown that they've had in China has meant that they've been able to reopen faster than certain parts of Europe. And when I say strict, how about a $14,000 fine just for breaking the seal on your restaurant door? And the lack of travel into the country for many months means that the population feels much safer that the virus has not spread. And bars and restaurants are returning to some level of business, albeit the expat population are no longer around. I found it interesting about the one metre rather than the two metre distancing rules and imagined the difference that would make to UK covers once hospitality is allowed to reopen. Who has decided that it's one metre in China, 1.5 metres in Belgium and two metres in England? A second spike and immediate closure is now their biggest fear, but a sense of community is returning and people are becoming more relaxed the further out of the other side of the shutdown that they get. I found this fascinating and really hope you enjoy this global conversation. And remember, whilst I did not have to fly over to Shanghai to meet Logan, there are still costs keeping this podcast on the air and your support via the Patreon tip jar would be hugely appreciated. Please head over to the humansofhospitality.co.uk forward slash donate website and a five star review on Apple Podcasts also really helps me out. Thank you.
Logan Browse, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, and an unusual one uh, this time in the fact that you are actually sat in your taco bar in Shanghai, I believe. Thank you for joining me. How are things? Thank you, thank you. Welcome. Uh, yeah, things are doing great right now. Sunny day. Yeah, uh, amidst, amidst the pandemic, we're uh, we're keeping in. We're struggling, but we're keeping it in. Yeah. Amazing. Good work. So uh, you've got uh, a couple of taco bars and uh, and a bar. Can you just talk to me a little bit about your operation in Shanghai and, and just tell me a little bit about how come you're there, I guess? Sure thing. Uh, well, I started here about 10 years ago. I'm from the US. I'm from uh, San Francisco, California. And I came out here as a consultant for F&B. This was during uh, Shanghai had a World Expo in 2010, which was pretty amazing. Um, so I came out here, Shanghai was the wild west in terms of everything, everything was really fun, uh, big personalities, big money, big ideas. And I stayed with it. I worked in nightclubs here for a while, ran a couple of places. And we opened up my first venue, which is called Logan's Punch. And that was basically, I was bored of really quiet cocktail lounges. And in Shanghai, the tradition had been really Japanese style cocktail bars. And I wanted something to shake it up and be a little bit more wild and fun. Uh, so we did that for about five or six years. And I had this idea with some of my friends of making a taco restaurant because we wanted some good tacos and we decided to make tacos great again, which was kind of this slogan that was going on. And so we kind of pitched into that and we, uh, ended up with the ta two taco restaurants and the bar. So we've been very, very fortunate. Excellent. Nice. Good work. That sounds uh, like a fun journey. Uh, and then size wise, we, we, so how many covers have you got in your, uh, in your restaurant? Okay. So the two restaurants, one's a small one. That one's about uh, 60 square meters and we could do about 90 covers in the second one, the larger one, that's 230 square meters. And that one we do about 150 to 200 covers, like a crazy night, like Cinco de Mayo, we'll do about 600 covers. And that was like last wow. Tuesday, I believe. Busy venues. Yeah. And, and I don't know Shanghai. I've not been, although I've been to China. I was very much in the uh, southwest, I think, sort of traveled over the border from Tibet a long, long time ago. Mm. So I don't know the city, but are you in the in the heart yeah. of the city? Right. Is it a fairly sort of spread out metropolis? It's or? a very spread out metropolis, but we're right in the heart. So we're in like the city center, basically, which is called Jing'an. Jing'an is famous. We have a big gold temple in the middle of the city called Jing'an Temple. And so this is the newer, more up, up and coming area. So this is like the popular area. We had before an area called Shintandi, which is downtown, but Jing'an is more the center of the city. This is where most of the bars, clubs, and restaurants are located now. Okay. And is this sort of daytime corporate market then if it's city center and then yeah, residents in the evening, or is it pretty much the same all the way through? Uh, Shanghai is very fun like that. Like for our one location, we have a location of Takalicious in an area called Shuei. Shuei is uh, known from the former French concession. So it's a little bit older part of town. And that one's near all the consulates. So you have the American consulate, the Iranian consulate, the, the Italian consulate, the uh, French consulate. They're all right next to each other. And so you have in the daytime at that, at that venue, it's all consulate members. Uh, and then at nighttime, it's more uh, single people out for drinks and everything like that. Versus Jing'an, it's, uh, in the daytime, it's all family. And nighttime, it's all younger people. And by younger, I mean 18 to like 25 out to have drinks and like, pregame before they're going to party. And then for the bars, it's uh, Jing'an is everybody's out and about. And, you know, they're not really worried about going to work early in the morning, even though they should. <laughs> and is this largely the, the Chinese community? Or is there a big ex expat community or who's the market? Uh, so before everything changed, it was largely a Chinese community. Uh, with, uh, with the restaurants, it was always a good expat community. With the bars, you wanted to focus more toward a Chinese community. But now that the world has kind of changed, uh, 
we see there's a lot of different uh, di different uh, metrics for it. For example, there's no more foreigners allowed into China since March. Wow. So you have a lot, a lot of people that we would depend on coming in for the restaurants are just they're stuck somewhere else, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's uh, that's exactly why I wanted to chat yeah. to you, actually. So I feel like you're sort of a, a glimpse into the future, basically. So, uh, yeah, I've been chatting to lots of restaurateurs well, for the past sort of 12, 18 months, and I, I've been in hospitality myself for the last 15 years. Um, but, yeah, obviously, in the last couple of months, I've been chatting to them about, you know, we're right in the, yeah. in the heart of lockdown at the moment, and all of our restaurants and bars and closed. So, yeah, I really wanted to chat to you to find out about, I suppose, yeah, how, how does it look coming out the other side? So before we get into that, though, just to chat about, about the virus and when that hit, and excuse me that I'm probably going to ask some very naive questions, because I, I guess in the UK, uh, you know, we saw a lot about Wuhan, and we were, yeah. you know, very shocked, I suppose, by the scale of the initial Chinese response in shutting down a city. And we were like, oh my God, you know, that's incredible. Little did we know that two months later, we would be closing down entire countries across Europe. But from Shanghai, because Wuhan's, uh, it's a fair distance from Shanghai. Can you just talk a little bit about how you sort of saw the, the virus come out and how it spread from, from Wuhan to where you guys are? Sure thing. So, and that's a very good question. Uh, what we saw was, um, it was around Chinese New Year, which everything really went crazy for the world. It all started when is that? Chinese New Year is it's a lunar holiday. Um, happens every year for us. This year it happened uh, in the first couple of weeks of I want to say the end of January. Uh, sorry, end of yeah, end of January area uh, around the end of January, okay. beginning of February. It happened this year, um, and basically the whole country of China migrates. Everybody goes to their home villages or home cities. Like anywhere like London, uh, nobody's from London. Everybody is a visitor from a different city, right? So for Chinese New Year, everybody goes home. And then after two weeks, they come back. So we were hearing this thing about this virus, Wuhan, but nobody was really taking it seriously. All the foreigners, usually uh, all the expats, people usually take that time off. They're not working because work is closed. Uh, unless you're an F&B like myself, work is always open. But all those people, Absolutely. all those people left. They're like, oh, we'll go to Thailand. It's normal. You go on a holiday during Chinese New Year unless you go see family. So everybody left. Uh, we were hearing tales about this Wuhan thing, but nobody really took it that serious. And I had some staff that went to Wuhan, that from Wuhan, uh, which is just like a normal city. Like it's like for, for anywhere, for me being in San Francisco to go, oh, I'm going to go down to San Diego this week. So it wasn't like that big a deal. But so we're, we're hearing all this rumors and stuff, and, uh, but nobody's taking it that serious. And then uh, we started seeing all the local people were saying, oh, they're going to do a lockdown. They're going to do a lockdown. And the, the fear kind of started to spread. But we're like, oh, it's Shanghai. It's not going to affect us. This is Shanghai. And then uh, we had some staff in Wuhan. And I said to them, hey, guys, we think something's going to happen. Why don't you come back now before you know you get stuck in the city? And they were like, oh, no, don't worry about it. We're, we're in a different city. We're in Hubei. That's the province. We're like, we're not Wuhan. Wuhan's the city. And I was like, well, guys, maybe come back now and you know save us a little headache. But they're like, no, no, no. Uh, three days later, they shut down Wuhan. Uh, the day or two after that, they shut down Hubei province. So that means anybody that was there was there. They weren't going anywhere. And then they locked everything down and were like, okay, maybe they have it contained. But because it's Chinese New Year, everybody was leaving. All the people from Wuhan, most of them were still, they had already gotten out. So that's when it started affecting all the major city centers in China. So Shanghai started getting cases. And they effectively locked everything out. And then they shut down the airports. And that was when it was like a real game changer for everybody. That's when we knew like something serious was going on. Because before that, you had to wear a mask. But it was like, ha ha, it's not that big a deal. And then it became like, okay, you have to wear a mask. 
You have to have a temperature check every single establishment. You have to do this, that, and the other thing. And then it was really uh, very intense. And then during those intense periods, that's, you know, what left us where you guys are kind of in right now. So so was it the whole of China that got pretty much locked down in the end? Or? Yeah, the whole of China. Everything was locked down. Right. <laughs> the, the scale is, is phenomenal, really. I, think, I suppose it's it's the same, you know, you, when you start looking at, you know, for us, I guess, our Wuhan was Italy, really, where we saw yeah. all of a sudden that Italy started getting closed and then the thoughts of closing entire countries, which now just sort of feels so, you know, relatively normal, but at the time was absolutely mind-blowing. But uh, yeah, I mean, China is just such a huge country, isn't it? It's just it's, uh, it's yeah, massive. And then what you have to remember is during all of it, I was like, you know, we're here. We had in Wuhan, there was actually a lady that was freaking out, an American lady. She became very famous for it. She was yelling and the U.S. embassy got involved. The U.S. consulate evacuated all the consulate members from Wuhan. It was very like intense for a while there because nobody really understood what this whole thing was. In Shanghai, we were still kind of taking it as a joke. But like as it dawned on us, like the seriousness of the of, of the events, we were like kind of blown away. And then you like for you guys, you saw in Italy, like, oh, this is real, you know? Like we never thought in the world that anybody would know the city of Wuhan outside of people that lived in China or expats. Now everybody knows the name Wuhan. They do. It's globally. Fun. I don't know if that's going to help their tourist industry or not. I'm not sure, but uh, <laughs> yeah. you know what you say, it's certainly it's certainly well known. Oh, you know, so, can you talk to me a little bit about lockdown in China, I suppose, or in Shanghai specifically? Your experience of it. So, literally, you know, everything was closed. Uh, I can literally in tell France, you. You've had to get gone. Yeah. yeah, I can tell you exactly. I mean, they came to my bar, so. Um, we were running as normal, no problem. Uh, and then other places are closing voluntarily. Um, people were, all, all the staff were starting to wear the masks that are so prevalent for everybody now. Everybody was wearing masks. You were wearing gloves. Uh, there were temperature checks at every door. But everything was like, okay, it's business as usual. Like a lot of places were giving out like free, like a, a free mask with every drink. You know, it was kind of like a cheeky, funny thing to do. But the the FDA here, the 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 Chinese police and the, the food, drug and, food and Drug Administration here came to my bar on a Thursday night. And they're like, it's 7 o'clock. They're like, okay, everything must close right now. Everybody out. Nobody's in trouble. Turn the lights off. They put a special sticker, a seal on the door, and that's it. Like, no time to take your produce and throw it away. It was almost like, like a, an invasion or an emergency. You know what I mean? They came in like 15 guys strong. Like, everything's closed now. And they did that to the whole city. And you'd have these big stickers, these blue stickers on all the doors of every F&B establishment or every, every establishment, sorry, not only F&B, like if it was a dry cleaner, anything, everything except for grocery stores had these big blue stickers. And if you open the sticker that broke the seal, basically it was a hundred thousand RMB fine. And so it was just immediately. How much is that? Sorry. In, uh, in dollars. Or so a hundred thousand RMB uh, for dollars. So it's roughly seven RMB. Let me just, let me just, uh, do a rough calculation just for rough. you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, we're not fact checking. I'm just wondering if that's a couple of quid or a lot of money, basically. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you right now. It is 14,000 USD. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so it's a big chunk of cash. Yeah, it's not. It's, it, it's not. Yeah, it's not. You didn't, you didn't break your sticker. Yeah. yeah go on. But the, the thing is, like, so all that, so in different districts, different laws were applied. So in the Jing'an district, where the bar is located, completely everything was shut. In our Shuei district, that's where the I said the first location we have is, uh, they gave us limited hours. So we can only operate from 10 a.m. till 8 p.m. And it was delivery only. So so how far how far apart are those two areas? Uh, by as the crow flies, about uh, 10 minutes. 
Wow, really? Yeah, that's a very different scenario, isn't it? Yeah. One, you can't even throw your produce away. One, you can stay open yeah. eight hours a day. Why so different, so close? Uh, different different districts or different, uh, like, I don't want to say a mayor, but different leaders of the area. If you are in a city of 26 million, you know, they have to be strict guidelines for everything. And different districts, you know, they have their own rules for the way they do things. And, and did that continue, that that difference yeah. between the two areas? Yeah, or? I mean, yeah. it's always continued. There's different fire laws. There's different health code laws. So it's always been like that. But during the this crisis, uh, for the restaurant, for the bar, we were completely closed. There's nothing you can do for about a month and a half. I used to have to sneak in and take away all the produce and, and all the stuff that would go bad. I, I figured a way to sneak in. And I'd sneak out a couple bottles as well just to, you know, have our own home parties. Yeah. But uh, Didn't want to go thirsty. Yeah, you don't yeah. want to get thirsty. You have to liberate some booze. But uh, Absolutely. I was going to ask what happens to all that produce. It'd be pretty hanging after six weeks. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you got in to throw it yeah. away. Otherwise, you would have had a, yeah, it would have been a huge health issue. issue. But for the restaurant, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for the restaurant, we were able to be open, uh, thankfully. Uh, we were able to be open, but only for deliveries. But sometimes that would change on a daily basis after the first couple of weeks. But delivery only, the delivery driver would come to our place. We have really good delivery services here. They would come to our place. They would pick the stuff up and almost in hazmat suits. Uh, and then they would take the food and leave it at the – most people live in compounds here or like gated communities. And they would leave it you know, at their door. So they wouldn't, Not the door, the, the gate. Before it would come right to your food, but now it would come right to your gate. Then you'd have to go out to your gate and get your food. And so you were allowed to do that in two of your venues? Uh, yes. Delivery? Or? Yeah. Okay. And you did. You ran that through the whole thing. Yeah, we you? had to. Uh, for the bar, what we started to do is work with some companies to do uh, bespoke cocktails that were delivery cocktails. Nice. And and operationally, then keeping the restaurants open was that a big change to? I suppose I'm thinking about you know kitchens are small spaces. I'm guessing you've got the same rules in place around mm-hmm. uh, social or physical distancing. Uh, yeah, did, did you have to make some operational changes or was it just if you're only doing delivery? I suppose it was a, a big drop in revenue anyway, was it? So. It was a huge drop in revenue to change everything. We still had to do social distancing. Uh, everybody was measured every day by uh, an official before they started work. Then we all have uh, these QR codes on our phones through a, via a special app that would check and tell you, okay, you're okay today. You've already passed. But there were so many check marks every day or checkpoints every day. Like the police could just randomly like, hey, let me see your, your paperwork. And you'd have to show them your phone and they would check your QR code. So there was a lot of checks and balances and, you know, it was what we had to do to survive. But they were they were very okay. vigilant on it. Yeah. So what sort of things were they checking then to, to what what gave you the, okay, yeah, you're, you're fine to get on with your day and no, you're not. It was a laser thermometer that would just on your forehead or on your wrist. Right. And that was it. So literally just, just multiple checkpoints yeah, check across the city. Yep. Yeah, you've either you've either been zapped and been given the all clear, or uh, yeah, or we check your QR code to see if you've been zapped. Exactly. I mean, what happened also when when they did the big close downs is most people were ordered to stay home. Like I had to be at work, so there's a reason I wasn't home. But for many people, they were just doing what everybody else is doing in the world right now. They were quarantining. You know, so like for a lot of people, like we were lucky because we could still get deliveries and everything, but. It was still like the quarantine was real for about a month, month and a half. So we we had seen it already as as you guys are dealing with it now. And then the the actual impact for the virus in Shanghai did it uh, did that control it? Was your were your hospitals getting uh, getting slammed? I guess or was it was it actually pretty well managed from a healthcare perspective? I think what they did here was almost beautiful. Like it was uh, they really prepared for the worst. They had everything set up, but because the population here listened to the government. Uh, it was uh, it, it worked out really well. Like it was a lot of fears in the beginning, of course. Like if you went any near anyone and coughed, like it was crazy. Like nobody would be on the subway. 
If you wanted to get a, a car anywhere, there'd be like big protective sheets. But Shanghai, we really didn't suffer that badly. Uh, but that's because the rules are really strictly enforced here. Easier, would you say? Do you think for the for the Chinese to to enforce that kind of regulation than it would be, say, in the U.S. or in Europe? Oh, much easier. Like when this started, I kept thinking to myself, if this happens in the U.S., the U.S. is not going to do what China did. Uh, it's just different mentalities, you know. What's your thoughts on how the U.S. are coping? I think it's such an American thing that you have these doomsday preppers that have spent their whole lives building bunks, proven right. And they were like, oh yeah, we've we've been proving, we've been getting ready for like the end of the world and like this whole thing, and they were proven right. It happened. And they still want to go on the street and protest with guns. It makes no sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's been uh, it's, it's a source of constant entertainment, I think, for us having having Donald coming on the telly every day and uh, trying to manage the situation. It, but hey, let's not yeah. let's yeah, not, not get no, no, But like, I mean, these guys yeah. have these doomsday bunks that they made, stocked full of food, fresh, clean air, everything you ever want. And like, no, we don't want to be inside right now. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. It's good. It's good to still have a sense of humor. So, um, economic impact-wise, in Europe, I feel that we've been uh, fairly lucky. I mean, the, you know, the economic impact is huge. All of my restaurants are completely closed. Uh, we could technically do uh, takeaway, but I don't think we've got the same infrastructure in place probably to uh, to manage that. But we've been pretty lucky, certainly with our teams. You know, the government have stepped in with a furloughing scheme. I don't know how much you sort of follow what's going on in Europe, but uh, yeah, they've been paying our staff for us eighty percent of their wages for the last couple of months, and are actually going to continue that for a few months. Hospitality, you know, hit hardest, I guess, as a sector. First to be hit, first to be closed, last to come out. Um, is there is there economic? Is there government support in a similar way there? Well, the government was actually really nice to us. They made sure that almost every place didn't do two months of rent for, for most like bars, restaurants. So that, I mean, obviously that helps a lot. Uh, this is a very pro worker government. So they made sure that you can't really fire your staff. So that, you know, yeah. it's, it, and, and did they help at all? I'm thinking if you're closed, you've got no money coming in, you know, how do you pay your team? They, but uh, did they help out with that? Or? No, yeah, we've had like a kind of a tax free period, uh, which obviously helps everything. So it is, uh, you know, the, the no rent really helped. Also, all the staff, they know what's going on. So nobody really, this isn't really a time to look for a job. So most people are like, hey, listen, what we've done is for some staff, like, hey, we're going to give you a reduced salary when we were closed. But then once we, we'll make it up for you later in the year when we are back to normal. And a lot of people have been accepting of that because there's nothing we could do. They could see we're hurting just the same as they are. Okay. And when you say no tax period, I'm just trying to think how you how you fund that, I suppose, really, isn't it? Because it's whether you've got the cash reserves to continue to pay people if you've got no money coming in. I guess you had a little bit coming in from delivery, but most of the hospitality sector here is completely shut. So yeah, no cash in, yeah. uh, no cash out. Yeah, no, a lot of places, unfortunately, are just... You know, here in Shanghai, like a lot of places were just devastated. There's a lot of uh, big names that went out of business, big international companies that just left. Or this was kind of, you know, F&B is always, uh, you're, the, the profits are very low and the risks are very high. And like this is really took the wind out of a lot of people's sales in, in Shanghai and I'm sure in the whole world. Yeah. So uh, what was the total close, close down period? Uh, f- about a length of time. About a, a month and two weeks, I would say. Okay, that's pretty good, really. You know, again, considered, I suppose, what we're probably a couple of months in now, just being released a little bit, but uh, no sign of restaurants being allowed to open. At the minute, we're being told uh, July, so we will have lost, uh, yeah, three months, three and a bit months, I guess. Maybe that's the speed of reaction. So what, once the you were told you could reopen, was it was it back to 
normal or you've had a lot of measures put in place to uh, to operate differently? In in the beginning, so nobody really said, hey, you could open. They just kind of <laughs> didn't come by anymore. <laughs> okay, somebody took the stickers down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. no, we had to take the stickers down ourselves. We're like, hey, is this okay? Other people are doing it. Yeah, just peeled off a little bit at a time. Yeah, right? it, was kind of, it was kind of like that, like uh, the fall of the Berlin Wall. You know what I mean? When everybody's kind of just like, oh, I guess we can go through now. It was just like a rush. And what what what, what triggered that? Somebody went first. Yes, yeah, somebody went first, and the next person went, and the next person went, and then you know we're we're all open that day. But it wasn't like a okay. rush of consumers coming back. Even now, we find it like uh, people are really. Some people are more reluctant to come back. Some people just don't have the funds to really go out. A lot of people's companies just didn't pay them or uh, gave them really reduced salary. Um, like I said, a lot of people are just stuck or were stuck. Like when this was all happening, you had people that were on vacation that got stuck maybe in Thailand for an extra month and a half because they couldn't come back. What Shanghai, what China did, which, which the world didn't do at the time, was they shut down the airports for a while. So nobody was coming in. Nobody was going out. And that's the reason I think we had like the one a month and two week uh, period is because they just didn't let anybody go out or in. Like they're out, they set up all the special quarantine hotels right away, so they kind of locked it down as fast as possible, and that uh, led to everybody being able to be like buzzed back in, kind of. But like even with now, uh, people still in the beginning it was social distancing, uh, one meter apart. Every every table had to wear a mask unless they were eating, hand sanitizer, temperature checks at every door. Uh, so that was all strictly enforced and people would come by and check it. Now it's a little bit more relaxed. Like we still make sure everybody washes their hands. There's hand sanitizer everywhere. You wear a mask when you're outside at all times, but inside it's a lot more, um, inside a restaurant or inside a bar, it's a lot more relaxed. It's not like the old times exactly, but it's getting like that. Like people won't hug or like kiss each other, but you will say hi. You know what I mean? So there's been talks in the UK of kind of, you know, putting up all these perspex screens between tables to, ins you know, insist on distance and sneeze guards and stuff on the bars and all that jazz. So you've not needed to implement those kind of things. They haven't done that here, but Shanghai is a different part of China. It's like its own world almost. Like in Beijing, I know even now they're very strict about it because Beijing is the seat of government power. And so they have different, some things are not open yet. So Beijing, I think is still a little bit more of a uh, lockdown than we are here but no because ha so how long have you been able to reopen now what are we talking a couple of months is it or yeah, uh, a couple of months now for sure a couple of months like okay. new places right. even new restaurants and bars are starting to open up and uh any impact we you know we talk about a second wave and a second spike and, and all that kind of stuff about the virus coming back but what's the general uh, consensus been it's, it's people are presumably getting more relaxed because they're not seeing a, a, an influx of people into the hospitals presumably yeah i mean the second second spike is uh it's pretty much everybody's biggest fear. But because literally no one can come to China unless you're a Chinese national. And then if you're a Chinese national, you must stay in a quarantine hotel for 14 days. It's, uh, it's a little bit different. You know what I mean? In terms of there's no new people coming here. And if you leave China, you're not coming back unless you're national. So, I mean, for okay. that kind of To be fair, that's what they're doing in the, in the UK shortly, to be fair, is they're, um, they're doing the same. So, uh, yeah, any, anybody landing in the UK needs to be quarantined for two weeks. Uh, but they haven't done that up until now. So, uh, yeah, I guess, uh, I guess they're learning from the global response. So it, it does feel like, uh, you know, I think everybody's been quite amazed, I suppose, by the speed of change in China and clearly how that lockdown and how strictly it was enforced as um, as has has had the desired income so as the desired impact it sounds like it's been pretty effective yeah i mean say one thing for how the government works here that when they want something done it, it gets done as fast as possible 
But yeah. like for us, we had a lot of uh, people coming back when they could still come back before they shut down all the airports for foreigners. And we'd, they'd be in the quarantine hotel. And, you know, our delivery business was really fun because, you know, you get people that order like booze and stuff like that. And, you know, people were making the best of their quarantine hotel times. And I think, you know, you saw a different mindset, you know, because people knew they were going to be stuck for 14 days in a hotel. Let's get, you know, let's get some, some shots going, some tacos and just have, you know, have fun with it. Excellent. I do love the, uh, the sort of response of the human race sometimes is that, you know, we just deal with the new normal and we go, okay, well, this is how we've got to roll now. So we'll, we'll just deal with it. But uh, you're giving me some uh, op- optimism, I think, on the fact that, yeah, y- your bars and restaurants are not. I mean, I find, you know, hospitality for me is, you know, it's about smiles and it's about energy and it's about vibe and the thought of walking into a venue where everybody's in masks and everybody's sat behind plastic screen- screens and stuff. You know, I kind of think I'd, I'd just stay at home because that's yeah. not what hospitality is about, but it's, yeah, I suppose, yeah, in, in those early days, how, how different is the vibe and the energy now then in, in hospitality in Shanghai, would you say, compared to what it was beforehand? And how long do you think it's going to take to get back to normal? I think it's, uh, there's sometimes a nervous energy. Like, I would say for like nightclubs and everything, where nightclubs just started reopening again, uh, they'll still do a health check at the door. But I think every time somebody sees like any anybody with a police uniform, immediately the party stops, everybody goes home because they're waiting for the next wave of everything to be closed. So it's like kind of like you feel like you're almost out on borrowed time. But with that apprehensive energy, you have a lot of people that are just looking to have a good time because they have been cooped up in their houses forever. You know what I mean? Some people can't go back to work, so they just they have the time to, to enjoy themselves a little more than they could. Interesting, yeah. So do you think that could happen? Literally, you know, any any day, some, they could just walk in and reapply the stickers and say, right, you're closed again. Yeah, they, I mean, they can. We're really, we're really, really scared about that because they definitely could do that. I mean... It, but if it stops everything, if they have to do it for a month and it stops everything again, or you know, three months, whatever, it's going to be uh, kind of the death, the, the death knell for a lot of uh, F and B places. It'll be the final nail in the coffin. But uh, you know, if it finishes it and gets this virus kind of contained. It'll, will it be worth it? It'll be a question, but I think it will. Um, you talked a little bit about closures. So if you were to guess an estimate, I suppose, on the number of venues that uh, that reopened or the number that you think will survive this, because presumably all of your revenues are, are still down. Are you talking sort of, you know, 50%, 10%? What, what would be your guess? I think for the bars, it's about 50%, for sure. 50 or 60 Already not, 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 not reopening. Yeah, not reopening and just uh, revenues down because – what you're having is a lot of people now that are used to being home so much and making cocktails at home, people like they'll still go out, but it's not like you need to be go out for that social setting anymore. Like people who make people were making cocktails at home. There's a lot of, as you guys are probably experiencing a lot of like zoom cocktail parties and things like that. So we see just a lot of people like they want the social uh, fun of being out, but like 10 PM, 11 PM, which is like the, the witching hour for bars with the fun time. Uh, that's when people are like, oh, you know what? I don't need to be out this late. I can go home and do the same thing. For restaurants, it's a it's a different bag because people still want to eat, you know, and they're still going out to have food that they can't make at home. Have you needed to reduce the number of covers that you've got in your restaurants to try and, you know, t- take out tables to give people more space? Or? In the beginning, we had to make sure every table was one meter apart. And that was no joke in force. They would come through with like uh, measuring tape sometimes. Okay, it's two meters in the UK. I'm feeling that we've been, um, you know, we've been done over slightly. So uh, is one meter enough? Can you get me? Can you get me the official? Somebody spoke to the virus there, or is it because the Chinese are often shorter? I'm wondering if that. Yeah. No, it was one meter, and then like they had these weird after dark laws. We didn't know if the virus was more active after dark or what. We just whatever they say, we're like, okay, whatever you need, that's what we do. 
Right. Really? So what was the what was the difference after that? I don't know, but we had to close at eight PM for a lot of places. <laughs> really? I've heard that in, in lots of places. I presume it's the impact of booze, maybe, and the fact that people get a little bit more relaxed in the evenings. I don't know, but yeah, I've I've heard a similar. Uh, I've heard a similar thing. So, how do you see yourself uh, trading through? I mean, from a, from a revenue perspective, how far are you, you know? What's the percentage drop in revenue now for you in your in your restaurant, say pre and post? Uh, I mean, for the restaurants, I think after the most of the bigger restrictions were lifted, we saw a big boost of people just finally wanting to be free. You know, and people were like spending, but you see it because. You have so – this is a big – Shanghai is a city that's a mix of foreigners and locals. And because the foreigner populations dropped off dramatically, uh, you're seeing the same people out all the time. And so they're not going to always want to go to the same places. For locals, they're just recently getting more used to being out again, like going back to work and everything like that. Because the fear is, I think, stronger for local Chinese than it was for foreigners, for expats. So they're getting more confidence in going out. But they'll do social distancing more. You'll still see people in gloves and masks. I mean, masks are ubiquitous. You're going to see masks everywhere. But people wearing their masks like inside and wearing gloves inside, you're, still, you're seeing that, but a lot less. So I think the we're still down, but it's it's coming back to life slowly. Like I don't have okay. an exact year, well, but uh, you know, because we basically this was like the reset button. When this happened and everybody was closed, we kind of restarted all of our calculations and and stuff like that okay but it's still uh still a viable business basically because a lot of people in hospitality in the uk are saying look if you enforce you know we're being told two meters between each table a lot of times that would take out you know maybe between 50 and 70 percent of the covers in a restaurant restaurants as you alluded to you know tiny tiny margins anyway most people and rents in in the uk are just you know bonkers so most people are saying that you know they're losing less money by being closed than they will by opening with those kind of measures in place oh i understand that completely obviously Staffing in the UK is a different cost than staffing here. With uh, with the uh, like the medium, the minimum wage in uh, Shanghai, as we speak, is four thousand five hundred RMB, which is equal to six hundred thirty-three US dollars a month. So our staffing costs are a bit low, lower than yours guys's are. So it changes a little bit the dynamic, but still the food and the drink cost th- those don't really change. I think those are the same everywhere. And then obviously, okay. But uh, so for us, we were moving, we moved a lot of tables, especially when we had to do all the social distancing. And even now we kind of keep it. Nobody really wants to be too close together, uh, especially if it's like a local crowd. They, they do maintain some proper social distancing. Uh, and so you do, I mean, you, you feel it where it hurts. Any advice, I suppose, to uh, yeah, to the UK or to Europe uh, as to you know things that we should be thinking about or, or doing? Uh, because, like I say, you sort of feel like a glimpse into into our future, I suppose. But any things you've seen, any initiatives you've seen, or anything you know with the knowledge you've got now that you would have done differently? Sure. I mean, the big thing for us was just trying to get as much delivery going as possible. For a bar, uh, even if we couldn't deliver alcohol, like soda, anything we could do just to get stuff going and to keep our name out there. Uh, it was just very, very important to just put the message like we're all in it together with you, like we're part of the community. And then when the community kind of came back, they knew, okay, this bar was always with us. They were struggling, but these are our, these are people we know. It's not just some faceless bar, faceless restaurant. These are like our community members. And then people actually saw that, you know, and I think people responded to it well. It's like even little funny things we put up on our social media, people were like, oh, I was really bored in quarantine. I watched that. It was really funny. Just wanted to come in. You made our day. Stuff like that, you know, it, even if you can't go out and sell stuff, it still helps just to be a presence, I think. Perfect. 
Well, look, any other uh, any other pressing issues? I mean, thank you for that. It's great. It's uh, you know, I feel uh, reassured in many ways. Like I say, that you're not all completely shut down, and it's not an eighty percent drop in revenue, and people are still coming out. I get. I guess uh, we're concerned on two fronts. One is the sort of the legal enforcement of being told to keep your tables apart, yeah. just not having enough covers, and then potentially the economic impact of, you know, what looks like it could be an almighty recession coming, and people just not having the cash to go out. I suppose, but uh, it's nice to hear that things are still looking uh, looking reasonable in Shanghai, although. I appreciate that uh, yeah it's a completely different uh, city I suppose to, to those that many of us are living in but yeah any other pressing issues or things you've seen or, or anything you'd like to bring up sure I would say I mean the the one biggest problem we had was people that were trying their best to be helpful like uh, nosy neighbors or you know uninformed uh, agents whatever it is they're trying their best and they were doing their own oh you must be three meters distant or you know people that don't know you have to be very cautious people were trying their best because people are stressed out and that would lead into a lot of uh, arguments or anything. Like we'd have somebody come in and say, oh, you guys are too close together or too many foreigners together. You guys are making us sick. Uh, and the same thing I think is happening over there where there's a backlash against Chinese people because they think they're the reason everything's happening. So I think everybody just realize we're all in it together in this kind of crazy topsy-turvy world we're in right now. No, you're right. It needs that joined up approach. I think the, one of the problems we've got here is because people don't really know what, what the regs are going to be and if it's you know i mean i'm a bit of a believer in people using their common sense and that you just need to use your own brains i, I one of my restaurants is right on the seafront and we're actually reopening the takeaway today so people can actually queue up uh, and, and sort of take food out onto the beach and and i think you know we need to rely on people to uh, yeah to use their own brains the council looked at reopening the toilet so that the seafront's basically been closed for the last two months and then they thought, well, are we going to need to put somebody on the door of each toilet to make sure that people stay apart and that only a certain number of people go into the loos at a certain time? And it was going to be £50,000 a week in staffing, basically, just to man the loos. And, uh, you know, they, they, they well, we can't afford to do that. But you'd like to think that you could give people the responsibility to manage their own space a little bit, I suppose, and that we don't need to micromanage. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 50000 a we week. Will, I mean, we will see how that pans out. 50000 50, a week. Yeah, I need a different job. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I don't think that was all for one person. <laughs> I think I think they got quite a lot of toilets and quite a lot of people. Um, well, look, thanks so much for sparing the time. It's uh, I'm in, I, a I'm impressed by the technology, the fact that you can be in your uh, in your bar in Shanghai and I can be sat in my little home office where I've been uh, hunkered down for the last couple of months and it all works. But thanks so much for sparing the time. You saying before it's your it's your ten year anniversary in Shanghai. Ten year anniversary, right? yes, exactly. As we record this, it's my ten year anniversary in Shanghai to the day. Well, happy anniversary. You uh, you working this evening or are you having a party? Always or? working. <laughs> Always working. Yeah. You know, that's part of the fun of it. You know, you're at work at your own party. Yeah, absolutely. But you'll have a few few friends coming yeah, in. So, uh, well, I think where do, where should people go if they want to sort of follow your journey, learn a little bit about your uh, your bars and restaurants? Where's the best place to go? Is there a particular social media channel or, or sure. website for them to hit? We're on Instagram, uh, Talkalicious uh, slash Shanghai, SH. I think that's the easiest one. I'll, I'll send it to you so you can have the details. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, send it across and I'll put a link in the uh, in the show notes as well. So humansofhospitality.co.uk and I'll put all the details in there. Uh, but for now, Logan, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your anniversary and thanks for sparing the time to chat. Yeah. It's hugely appreciated. Thank you. Okay, I really hope you enjoyed my conversation with Logan. Uh, it kind of re-illustrates, I guess, why I love the podcast as a medium for finding out information. Uh, I don't think there's another way. I mean, I've watched videos and I've read newspaper articles, but I found it really fascinating to uh, to speak to somebody firsthand about their experience in hospitality uh, in Shanghai, and I hope you did too. Uh, I've got another episode that I've recorded already uh, with another guest in Shanghai as well, which will be out next week, uh, plus a couple of other 
more local UK contacts. Um, so please keep an eye on the website, humansofhospitality.co.uk. Do head over there and uh, put your name into the little sign-up form and I will send you a weekly newsletter of new guests. If you enjoyed the episode, please go to Apple Podcasts or your player of choice and pop a five-star review and it really does help me out. And if you can support via our Patreon page, that is also hugely appreciated. Okay, till next time, thank you.